Well, welcome to the first Sunday of the rest of our lives. I'm just kidding. That's a little too dramatic. Uh, I don't think this is something that is going to define the rest of our lives, but I definitely think it is something that is going to define this season of our lives. Uh, It has obviously become a very big deal really over the last few days uh, that it has uh, exploded in the urgency here. And so I want to share with you today uh, from the book of Esther. If you turn to the book of Esther, starting in chapter 4, I want to share with you a a quick passage from this book, and then I'm going to talk to you about what we're doing uh, in just a second. It says this in Esther chapter 4, it says, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews, the Jews being God's people, will arise from another place. How many know even if we don't do anything, God's going to do something? God does not need us, Right? He doesn't need us. God's going to make something happen. But it says, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows, but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Father God, we pray right now for such a time as this. God, as we are in what for many of us may be the the craziest season of our life. God, many of us have never seen uh, the, the panic unfold around us quite like it has the last few days, God, we, we ask that you would use us, God, that you would speak to us, God, that you would awaken us in this season, that your church would be fully awake, wide awake to the ways you want to use us through this and in this. And we thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Um, so we start today, I want to tell you a little bit that we are doing as a church, kind of how we are responding to this. Uh, first on the practical side to protect you, uh, and then we're going to go back to the Word of God and, and talk on some things that I believe we need to do to respond to this uh, and to any crisis that we may face. Um, so we're in a series called The Awakening, right? And this is part three of that series. And so we had a message I was supposed to give today in that series that we kind of wrestled with back and forth all week. Do we still do this? Do we do a message on the, the, the stuff that's unfolding? What do we do? And uh, finally landed on we're not going to do our regularly scheduled message today. Uh, I don't want to overly emphasize the coronavirus and contribute to panic, but I do think for most of us, It's something that's on our mind. I dreamt about the stupid coronavirus last night, okay? Uh, Like, I literally had dreams about this thing uh, because it is pretty much omnipresent right now. You can't turn on the TV. You can't watch the news. You can't go to social media. You sure can't go to Kroger uh, without a quick reminder that things are different than they were a week ago, right? Uh, And so I want to speak... To that. So first of all, practically, what are we doing? Um, we've met with each of our teams and enacted different responses um, in, in how we can protect and, and reduce the spread of germs. So you may have noticed when you came in today, but nobody was supposed to shake your hands at the front door. Uh, we're, we're not doing that, not because we don't love you or care about you like we used to, but because we still love you and care about you. And we want to make sure that we're reducing that. You may have noticed you couldn't go make your own coffee. That's probably the thing that may have upset you the most. Um, I apologize for that. Uh, but again, we want to reduce surfaces that a whole bunch of people are touching. Uh, and so Pam and her team are wearing gloves and making coffee for you. Can we give it up for our baristas today for Pam and Shalom? Um, 
thank you guys for, for protecting us, for, for being a part of that. Our First and Precious team is wiping all kinds of surfaces, door handles and toilet handles and sinks and, and all the things that get touched. Our Kid City team is doing the same thing. Multiple times throughout our day, those things will be wiped down uh, and, and, and cleansed. We've got hand sanitizer out. All, all the things that we know we can do, we're taking as many possible precautions as possible. Again, I told you at the beginning, um, we don't know if we'll be able to gather next week. Right now, we're operating under the, the advice of the Mississippi uh, Director of Health, Thomas Dobbs. What he has recommended is that for groups 250 and over, that they cease to continue in person right now. Um, he's recommended that people who are 65 and older, people who have immune system compromised issues, um, would, would stay home and live stream. And so we would make those same recommendations. Um, we're not going to kick you out. If you feel like, hey, I'm supposed to be here and I'm walking in faith, uh, you, you are going to be welcome as long as we can gather. The point may come, it may come this week where we say, okay, we're, we're going to practice a little bit more social distancing, hashtag buzzword, right? Thing you never heard of until the last three days, uh, and now it's everywhere. Uh, it may come to where we say, hey, we're going to take a couple weeks off, or, or who knows? I don't know. Um, as of right now at this moment, we are planning to do everything we were planning to do a week ago, just do them a little bit more safely. Um, so what that looks like is next Sunday we have a baptism scheduled. We're still planning to baptize 14 people who signed up. Um, that, that is still the game plan. City groups are just started up literally this week. We're planning to have week two of our city groups this week. Uh, recommend for you to find one. It may come the point where we have to take those virtual as well. And if we do, we will. Um, and we'll figure those things out as we get there. Um, so that's another thing that may potentially be impacted. We got Easter weekend coming up basically in a month, four weeks from now. We have Easter weekend. We're still planning to do a Good Friday service at Olive Branch City Park, to do a block party here, to do two Easter services on Sunday morning. Those things may or may not happen, but right now, we are expecting and anticipating, believing God we're going to get to do those things. We have a work day scheduled in 13 days uh, on Saturday, April the 28th, uh, to prepare us for Easter weekend. Right now, we're planning to do that as well. So everything that we had already been talking about and looking at, um, we are still anticipating doing. However, we also know we're pretty much at the point where everything's kind of hour to hour, uh, where things are changing and shifting very quickly. So I want to let you know how you can stay up on news related to City Church. We added a tab on our website, citychurchob.com slash COVID-19, which is the, the technical name for the coronavirus, uh, which is oddly shorter than the colloquial name for the coronavirus. So that's why we went with that, because it's not nearly as long for you to have to type out. Um, but that is going to stay currently up to date. If a city group gets canceled, it'll get posted there immediately. If an event gets canceled, it'll be posted there immediately. If service is not going to be held here, but is going to just be on the live stream, it will be posted there immediately as well as links to the live stream. So the easiest way, you can write that down, put it in your phone, whatever, the easiest way for you to know what's going on over the next few weeks or however long this thing carries out is to take advantage of that tab right there, citychurchlb.com slash COVID-19. Um, 
So that's what we're doing. We're doing everything we can to protect our people while also understanding uh, it's a very important time to be doing ministry. It's a very important time. In fact, I would recommend if you're watching on the live stream right now, um, share this. Because what we're going to be talking about, a whole lot of your friends want to know how do we respond to this. A whole lot of people are asking questions right now. I never, ever ask you to do this, but I'm asking you today to share this message. If you go home during second service, man, share it, the live stream. You don't even have to watch it yourself. You already saw it. But go to your page and share the live stream during second service because I believe the culture is asking big questions right now that Jesus is the answer to. And we want to be able to speak into that Void. All that being said, today we're going to talk about awakening to the time. Awakening to the time. We, we can't do a series on awakening, on being awake to what God is up to and look the other way when everyone's focus is on one issue. Uh, so we're taking today away from our regularly scheduled message. We'll hopefully get back to that next week. But we're going to talk about awakening to the time. Esther, as you probably know, was a Jew. She was a Jew who had been taken, her family had been taken into captivity. She was living in Susa, the capital of the Persian Empire. Uh, And at this point in time, the Persian king decided he needed a new wife, and he was going to hold a beauty pageant. Who is the most beautiful woman in the kingdom? She's going to be my wife. Uh, And Esther, by God's favor and his hand on her, was the one who was chosen. Uh, She was selected to be the new queen of Persia, the favored queen of Persia. And as she comes into this position right around the same time that an edict is made, because they didn't know she was a Jew, that all the Jews were going to be destroyed in the Persian Empire, that they were a problem. Uh, And so her cousin Mordecai, who had helped raise her, somehow she had been orphaned by probably the captivity, by the warfare, Uh, Her cousin Mordecai comes to her and says, look, this is your moment. You have been given this favor, to use the word of our generation. You've been given this privilege for a reason. Leverage it. Take advantage of it. For you may have come into this position for such a time as this. Who knows? But that some of us in this room were born in this generation, were placed in this generation for such a time as this. I don't necessarily believe that God's only purpose for us was to be here when the coronavirus hit, but I absolutely believe part of his purpose for us is to be here when the panic has hit, when fear has hit, when sickness has hit, that he wants us to be his hands and his feet in this season. Amen? Amen. So what I want to do today is I want to share with you seven responses to crisis, or we could title this seven responses to the time. This will apply very much to what we are going through today, but I also believe it will transcend what we are going through today because this will not be the only crisis most of us see. I'm old enough that I can think of at least three Um, outside of multiple wars that our nation has been in, which we could count as well. I remember the crisis of Y2K. Anybody survive Y2K with me? That's the first one that I thought of because that's the first time I remember people hoarding stuff, right? Everybody wanted to stock up because the world was going to end. If you don't know what Y2K is, 
you missed a, a lot of drama over nothing. Uh, it was absolutely much ado about nothing. They thought the computer systems were going to crash in the year 2000, and they didn't, and yeah, everybody was fine. Uh, so there was some hysteria around Y2K. Uh, the other thing I think of is 9-11. 9-11 was the last time I remember us having a fear of gathering together. It was a different fear of gathering together. It was an infectious disease. It was terrorist attack. We can't have large events because what if it gets bombed? What if they crash a plane into a stadium? What's going to happen? And so this, to me, is reminiscent of those times in my lifetime. Some of you are older than me and have seen more than I have and maybe can think of some other things that caused fear and panic in the culture, this won't be the last crisis that most of us see. This won't be the last time where things seem to be falling apart on a global scale or at least a national scale. But for all of us, we have crises that hit in our family, maybe in our workplace, maybe in our school. For all of us, we are exposed to multiple types of crisis. It doesn't have to rise to a national pandemic or an international emergency to require a crisis response in us. So how do God's people respond in crisis? Well, what I want to do is I want to share with you seven ways for us to respond, seven things that I believe God has called us to, that he's placed in our spiritual DNA as believers. What are the biblical responses in times of crisis? I want to ask you to take notes on this. If you didn't bring a notepad, get your phone out, get ready, because I believe all of us are going to have opportunity over the weeks and months to come to walk out all seven facets of this in different ways. The first thing is we will respond wisely. We will respond wisely. God's word again and again calls his people to wisdom. We are not called to be naive. We are not called to be foolish. We are not called to be ignorant. Some might say, well, we should just do everything the way that we normally do because we're going to walk in faith. And I believe absolutely in walking in faith, but I don't believe in being dumb. Uh, and we want to protect people. We want to do all that we can to ensure that we are not part of a problem. And so, yes, we are going to walk in faith. Yes, we are going to trust God. We claimed protection over every ounce, every square inch of this building today. We claim protection over everybody who's serving. We claim protection over our people. We're going to walk in faith, but we're also not going to be dumb, right? We're going to walk in wisdom. I believe for all of us, we're going to need to exercise some wisdom over this next season, evaluating the way that we do things, doing simple stuff like washing our hands, right? Uh, like, like taking advantage of hand sanitizer if you can get it, uh, right? Like, like by doing some very basic, very obvious things that we probably should already be doing, um, but, but making sure that, hey, we're doing everything we can not to put unnecessary risk on other people, covering our mouths when we cough and sneeze, and all those things that your mom taught you uh, that maybe didn't seem like a big deal, but all of a sudden seem like a big deal, right? We're going to walk in wisdom. Proverbs 8.11 says this, says, wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. We could modernize that and say wisdom is more precious than toilet paper, right? Uh, I don't know if you've run out. Uh, if you have, I'm sorry, because there is none. Uh, but, 
uh, look for some alternate methods. But wisdom is more precious even than rubies or toilet paper. It's more precious even than hand sanitizer, right? I'm having some fun with this, but the reality is wisdom is better than any treasure, right? Solomon, in his brilliance, given the opportunity by God, you can ask me for anything and I will grant anything you ask. Solomon says, give me wisdom. The perfect answer because with wisdom came everything else. It was the key to receiving it. So we're going to walk in wisdom. We're going to practice some social distancing. We're going to look to help flatten the curve, right? We're going to be wise as Christ followers, and we should when there is crisis. Secondly, when there's crisis, we will respond confidently. Not confidently in us, but confidently in the God that we serve. That he is greater than whatever the crisis is. He's greater than any terrorist attack. He's greater than any disease. He's greater than any war. He's greater than any relational challenge we go through, right? Whatever that crisis looks like, we respond with confidence in the God that we serve. Jeremiah chapter 17 puts it this way, starting at verse 5. It says, this is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man. We're not going to put our trust in men. We're not going to put our trust in government officials. We're not going to put our trust in the CDC or the WHO. We're going to walk in wisdom with what they have to say, but that's not where we place our trust. Amen? Amen. There's a curse if that's where we place our trust. The one who draws trust in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert and assault where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. If we place our confidence in the right place, if we place our confidence in him, there's a blessing for us. We will respond with confidence. He tells us a little bit about what that confidence looks like, that blessing looks like. He says, they'll be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. The reality is for some of us in this room, there may be some drought coming financially. There may be less hours. There may be less sales. There may be less work. For some of us, that reality may hit. And so if our confidence is in our paycheck, if our trust is in our employer, if our faith is in the economy, things may get pretty ugly real fast. If my hope is in my 401k, not that I have one, but if I did, right? If that is where our hope is, our confidence is, our trust is, our faith is, things are going to shake pretty hard. But if our confidence is in Jesus Christ, if our faith is built on the firm foundation of him, as the hymn says, if my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, then no sickness, no disease, no economic disaster, no Dow Jones report can shake my faith. So we are going to respond with confidence. Not confidence that the Dow Jones is going to go back up next week. I don't know if that's going to happen. It'll go back up eventually because it always goes back up eventually. But I don't know when that day will come. I don't know if it'll happen fast enough for your retirement to be what it looked like it would be two weeks ago. I can't promise you that. Here's what I can promise. Jesus is worth placing your trust in. 
You can place your tr- confidence in the Lord, your trust in the Lord. And yes, we are going to trust him through calamity, through chaos, through panic, through fear. We are going to trust him because he's the only one worthy of our trust. See, what happens at times like this that I love is everybody's faith in things that aren't worthy of placing their faith in begins to get shaken. And people start to look to the church for answers. People start to look to to God's people for answers. Do they actually have something worth placing their hope in? Do they actually have something worth placing their faith in? You see, this is the chance for us to shine. This is the chance for a hurting, dying, sinful world to look at the church of Jesus and say, they've got something we need. This is our opportunity. But only if our faith, our trust, our confidence is placed in a place where it cannot be shaken. Because a whole lot of stuff may be about to shake. And if our faith is in any of those things, we're not going to represent Christ the way we're called to represent him. We're not going to project something that the world desires. We're going to be just like the world and contribute to the fear, contribute to the panic, contribute to the problem. That's not what Jesus' people are called to be or to do. We need to respond confidently. Thirdly, we will respond compassionately. Compassionately. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 25 in the midst of his famous conversation about the least of these? He says, I was sick and you visited me. You know what Jesus said that 2,000 years ago? We didn't have antibiotics. We didn't have vaccines. We didn't have much understanding of medicine at all compared to what we have today. To visit the sick 2,000 years ago was to place your life in God's hands. It was a massive risk. Jesus, the man who touched lepers when everyone else quarantined them. The man who ran to the sick rather than away from them actually tells us to do the same. He says, I was sick and you visited me. See, we're going to respond with compassion. The easy mistake to make in this season is to hunker down, us four no more. We're locking all the doors and not talking to anybody for a month, right? Now, yes, we will walk in wisdom. Yes, it is wise to avoid unnecessary social interaction. Yes, we need to place some protections in our life, but we are not going to abandon the people who need us the most. That is not who Jesus is is. That is not who he calls us to be. We must respond with compassion, with wisdom, but with compassion. We run to the sick, not away from the sick. I don't know who's going to be sick around us. I don't know what that's going to look like. And yes, some of us may be older. Some of us may have immune situations. We may have other sicknesses that require us by wisdom to withdraw ourselves for a season. I'm not telling everyone in every situation to go towards the sick, but the default should be as believers, we're going towards the need rather than running away from it. It's going to distinguish us from the world very quickly. We got a church full of nurses. Can I just give a shout out to our nurses? I want you to know, nurses, 
I'm praying for you in this season. Others who work in the medical field, man, I'm praying for you guys. I want to commission our church to be interceding on behalf of our medical professionals. They are on the front lines right now. And it's just starting. It hasn't gotten crazy, but it may. There may be a whole lot that walks through those doors, and there's always going to be the question lingering in their minds, what just walked through the door? We're believing, God, that you are going to be Jesus in those situations, that you are going to be compassionate, and that he's going to supernaturally protect you no matter what walks through the doors of your doctor's office or hospital or whatever that medical facility looks like in your life. We're going to respond with compassion. Number four, we're going to respond peacefully. Peacefully. So much around us is responding in fear. So much around us is responding with with panic. God's people respond with peace. We are called to peace. Philippians chapter 4 puts it this way. Paul, by the way, in a situation that doesn't look very peaceful. He's in prison. He's in chains. About to be put up for the death penalty for preaching the gospel. And he writes this letter through what we call an amanuensis. He's actually speaking and somebody else is writing it down. And as he's facing death, which he ends up dying for the gospel, he pens this amazing section about peace. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Everybody say rejoice. Rejoice. He says, I will say it again, Rejoice." rejoice. He says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. In the midst of chaos, in the midst of fear, in the midst of a lack of peaceful situation, Paul says, let's walk in gentleness because God's near. Verse 6, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Don't be anxious about anything. Right now, don't be anxious about toilet paper. Don't be anxious about hand sanitizer. Don't be anxious about your paycheck. Don't be anxious about a germ. Does that mean that we shouldn't be cautious? No, I'm not saying that. Does it mean that we shouldn't be wise? I'm not saying that at all. But we serve a God of peace who is calling us to peace, and he says do not be anxious about anything. So we're going to submit those anxieties to him. Now, that doesn't mean you may not need medication to help with those things. We are pro-medication, right? Like, we're not against that stuff. If you need a psychologist, man, get that help. doesn't mean you're a worse Christian because you're struggling in those areas. But, man, we're going to go before God with everything. Verse 7, it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. The classic translation says, which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Church, can I tell you right now, the world needs to see a church where the peace of God is guarding their hearts and their minds. The world needs to see a place where they can look and people aren't freaking out and people aren't panicking. I'm not saying a place where we're not taking precautions. I'm not saying a place where we're not walking in wisdom, but a place where we are firmly standing on the rock of Jesus Christ, and we are not going to be shaken. We have to respond peacefully in the midst of the chaos. Number five, we will respond generously. We will respond generously. Again, the easy thing to do is to Start grabbing all of our stuff and holding on for dear life. That's not who Jesus is. That's not who he's called his people to be. I read an article uh, uh, about 
how Amazon and eBay have had to shut down sales of hand sanitizer. Because what happened is, when all this started, stuff started going on, literally thousands of people went out and bought up massive blocks of hand sanitizer to then, when everybody started freaking out, they would be able to sell them for $80 to $100. It's exactly what it is, called price gouging. So there's a whole bunch of opportunists who saw an opportunity to make a dollar and decided to buy the stuff that other people would need. And so I read this article. There's a guy right now sitting on about 13,000 cases of hand sanitizer that he can't sell because Amazon and eBay shut him down because he's trying to sell it for 80 bucks a thing. I don't know what you call it, a bottle? I don't know. Uh, uh, trying to charge far, far more than it should be. I think Amazon and eBay are doing the right thing by shutting that stuff down. However, now we got all this stuff sitting in people's garages rather than being where people need it. Can I just say that's not Jesus? That's not generosity. Yes, I'm not against profit. I'm not against people making money. Man, we've all got to ha have a business or have something that, that is feeding our family. But in the midst of need... We are not going to sit, we're not going to hoard, we're not going to hold on to the stuff that people need access to. And the worst thing we could hoard in a time like this is Jesus. We got to be ready to share him. We got to be willing to generously share him. We got to do more than that. We got to meet practical needs too. Like I said, we're going to figure out what we can do for the food pantry. We're going to figure out what, what practical needs arise in our community and how can we meet them. They haven't hit yet, so we don't really have answers to them because we've got to kind of see what needs look like before we know how to meet them properly. But we're going to meet needs. We're going to walk in generosity. This is not going to be a time where, where every dime that comes into city church is going into savings in case the economy crashes and we need to be able to pay payroll down the road. That's just not how we're going to operate. We're going to walk in generosity. We're going to trust that God is going to take care of our needs and that if he puts something in our hands, he put it in our hands in order to be a blessing to somebody. And that's how we're going to operate. And I may get up here a year from now and say, what a dummy. Uh, but I don't think that's going to happen. Because the Bible I read says we operate with open hands. It says that the more that we sow generously, the more that we will reap generously. And in a season like this, a community is going to need some generous sowing. They're going to need us, not just as a church, right? I'm not saying, hey, sit back and know that, hey, you gave your tithe, and that's all we got to do. God's going to give you an opportunity to be generous. He's going to place somebody in your life, somebody that you see where you've got a chance to step in and meet their need. But we're going to together walk in generosity. Amen? It's just how we're going to do this. Um, number six, we will respond boldly. We will respond boldly. One of my favorite things is church history. And one of my favorite aspects of church history, I'm like a church nerd, right? Like I like studying church. I like studying older church. I like studying current church. I, like, I, just, I just love church. It's just something that I'm passionate about. It's this thing that I believe is, is the, the local church is the hope of the world. And so I love studying how were things done hundreds of years ago, centuries ago. How are things being done on other parts of the world? How are they done now? Like I just love studying church. And church history is full. I'm talking about packed full of examples of the church exploding when disease strikes. 
endemic and pandemic and the plague. If you go down through history and you look at the worst seasons of infectious disease in the world, almost every time without fail, you will see an explosion of Christianity because God's people do it differently. I want to give you one example. If you read, read my blog this week, you, you've already seen this, but if you didn't or maybe you skimmed over it, I want to make sure and bring some attention to this because this example is so exciting to me. Back in AD 260, a couple of years ago, there was a bishop in Alexandria, Egypt named Dionysius, and Dionysius is writing a letter to the church at Easter, so right around this time of year, after an epidemic has hit Europe and the Middle East, Uh, And this epidemic has actually kind of gone on and off throughout the Roman Empire for about 100 years. Uh, And every few years, it'll flare back up. And so he writes about what is happening. It's going to be on your screen. You can read along with me the few paragraphs here. He says, most of our brother Christians showed unbounding love and loyalty. Notice he says most, not all. So even 260 years ago, there were some who shrunk back, Right? But he says, most of our brother Christians showed unfounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. What a beautiful sentence. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. For they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their deaths to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner, a number of presbyters, deacons, and laymen winning high commendation, so that death in this form, the result of great piety and strong faith, seems in every way the equal of martyrdom. So let me me talk about that for just a minute. We're talking about a whole different world 1,700 years ago, right? A world with very little medication, with very little understanding of disease. Like, we don't see the plagues strike in our generations the way that they stroke, that, that, that they stroke, they struck in, in those days and ages. But my point is not, hey, a bunch of Christians died because they helped people. My point is a whole bunch of people who didn't call themselves Christians, who followed Jesus, were willing to risk their lives to step in when everybody else stepped out. And I want to show you that about everybody else. Continuing the letter, he says, the heathen behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. Two groups of people, one disease. One group runs to the sick. The other group casts the sick out and gets as far away from them as they can. Can I tell you what group I want to be in? Can I tell you what group Jesus would be in? There is no question in my mind which group Jesus would call his people to be in, the one that historically wears his name. We're following in the footsteps of many men and women who've risked their lives down through history. Now, why does the church explode even though Christians are dying, meeting needs? Because the world is seeing this and saying, wow, these people are for real. There is actually something about this Jesus stuff. See, here's what really separates Christians from non-believers. We don't have to be afraid of death. It doesn't mean that we die foolishly or that we rush to death, but we understand we serve a God who raises the dead. And so death has no hold on us. 
We just sang it, right? The enemy has been defeated. Death couldn't hold you down. It couldn't hold him down, so it won't hold us down. In 260 AD, a generation of believers for about 100 years had been living this thing out and saying, we're not going to be afraid of death. We're not going to run away from death. We're going to step in and be Jesus no matter what's going on around us. They walked in boldness. They walked in faith. They walked in self-sacrifice. Now, it doesn't talk about those who were healed, those who were saved, but there's those as well. It doesn't mean everybody experienced this, but even if we were to get sick by helping others, we're called to help others. Jesus said, you were sick. I was sick, and you visited me. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, put it this way about 72 years ago, talking about the atomic age. He said, a fearful world needs a fearless church. Man. Is that not the generation we're in right now? A fearful world needs a fearless church. How can we be fearless? Because our hope is built in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he is the resurrection and the life. And that we will share in his resurrection. Amen? Amen. Lastly, number seven. We will respond Christ-centeredly. Jeremiah 17 said, again, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Some of us may have some extra time off work or off school. Some of us may work from home. We, our schedules may look a little bit different. Can I challenge you to seize that time and to use it wisely? Let's not just whittle it away on social media or Netflix and chill. I'm not saying there's never a time for that. But man, if, if our relationship with Jesus isn't where we need it to be, this is the time. This is the hour. This is the awakening. Press in. Spend more time than ever before, man. Get in that reading plan. If you don't have one, grab one on your way out. This is our opportunity to really get this thing right. The world needs it. We need it. Our family needs it. We are called to intercede. I'm just going to, man, extend the call. We had a week of intercession. We're just going to keep interceding. Take that same template, that same model that we gave you last week. If you not, don't remember or you weren't here, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash citychurchob. It's, it's right there in a graphic for you. We're going to intercede every day for different people, for different groups of people. Because right now, this world needs some prayer. We need some intercession. We're not going to leave the National Day of Prayer on Sunday and forget about prayer after that. We're going to walk in Christ-centeredness. We're going to make sure that, that we are following him, that we are close to him, because we're going to need him, especially in this season. Esther chapter 4 said, For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position at such a time as this. What am I holding up? Toothpaste. How do you know it's toothpaste? Because what? Because it's in a toothpaste. <laughs> it's one of those questions that's so obvious we don't know how to answer it, right? You know, how, you know how you know it's toothpaste? The label, okay, possibly. You know, how, you know it's toothpaste because you've squeezed it before, right? You've applied pressure on it before, right? You know what comes out when you squeeze a tube of toothpaste. It's been said that people are like toothpaste. When the pressure applies, when the squeezing comes on, you find out what's really inside. The pressure is coming. 
The squeezing is coming. For some, it's already here. For some, that may be economic. For some, that may be health. For some, that may be something different. But there is a squeezing coming on the church of Jesus Christ, and the world is going to see what's really inside. (laughs) Thank you. God forbid that in this season the world sees panic. God forbid in this season that when we get squeezed, the world sees fear. God forbid in this season that the world sees selfishness, hoarding. God forbid the world would see any of that. But in Jesus' name, as the pressure gets applied to God's people, let's see some wisdom. Let's see some faithfulness, some confidence in who God is. Let's see some generosity. Let's see some compassion. Let's see the people of God walking in Christ-centeredness. Let's see the people of God walking in boldness. Let that be what comes out when the pressure comes on. Amen? Amen. You stand with me as we pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that you are a God who awakens your people. So right now, God, we call forth your Holy Spirit in us to awaken us to the time, to awaken us to the opportunity you set before us. God, we don't know how long this season will last, if this will be over in old news and a joke in three weeks, or if this will carry on for months and be a major issue, God. But we know this, pressure's coming. There's pressure coming on your people. And so, God, as the pressure is applied, let the world see Jesus. Let you be what comes out. Let it be your words, God words, faith words, wisdom words. Father God, let it be the the, the people of God look like Jesus in this season especially. God, if there's anything in us that doesn't look like you, God, we pray that it would just get squeezed out and be done with. God, that that you would help us to remove it, help us to deal with it ourselves through the power of your Holy Spirit, God, so that we would be prepared and ready for the pressure that will inevitably come. God, our world is fearful and needs a fearless church. Let us be the fearless church. God, let us be the Esthers who are awakened, who are aroused for such a time as this, God, that we would be fully alert, wide awake, ready to be your hands and your feet in this generation. We thank you, God, for your peace. We thank you that peace is going to come out when this pressure gets applied to your people. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone said amen. Guys, we get to be the church this week. I don't know if we're going to get to gather next week or not. I hope we are. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure we can, but we're not going to do it if it's foolish. We're going to make sure we walk in wisdom. Things might look different for a little while. They're going to look different for a little while. Let's just be real. We just don't know how different. Um, But we got an opportunity to respond to crisis, to respond to chaos the way that God's called us and created us to. Let's arise. Let's step up. This is our chance to shine, church. And I truly believe that we will. I love you guys. Have an amazing, amazing week. Check the website for updates. We'll keep you posted as much as we can. Have an awesome time.